1: Now we come very solemnly to your word, and for that reason, Lord, we ask you now to open our hearts. We are so blind without your touch on us, and we pray, reveal to us, amen. Okay, now, tonight, as you can see from the bulletin here, we're going to really speak about um, a verse in Hebrews 1-3. And it's really two words. You know, the Bible, the Word of God, it's not like any other literature. It's so unique because there's a statement here that describes the Bible. It makes it very, very unique. And it's in Deuteronomy 8.3, Deuteronomy 8.3. Deuteronomy 8.3 is where Moses is speaking to the people and he's telling what God did to them. And he said, he humbled you when they were in the desert. He suffered thee to hunger. And fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by, and here's what he said every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. That's an interesting statement. Every word, those are the very, very important, every word, every word. What he's saying there in Deuteronomy 8.3 is so important. That's so important, that's the very scripture that the Lord Jesus Christ used when he was being attacked by Satan in the desert, having not eaten for 40 days. And Satan said, why don't you turn these rocks into bread? He pulled this weapon from Deuteronomy 8 three and said in Luke 4.4, 4, in Luke 4.4, 4, Jesus answered him saying, it's written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Every word of God, every word. This is a concept for us. This is the concept of that the Bible is an every word book, meaning that every word is so important because it's, as he used it there, every word is important because it becomes weapons against doubts. Every word in the Bible means that the Bible did not ultimately come from the minds of the writers, they didn't sit down and invent these things. The Bible actually explains how these writers came to write the Bible from God when it says in 2 Peter one twenty one, Second 2 Peter one twenty one, it explains, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. No, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake, and then here's the description of how it happened, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Very important statement. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. That means the writers didn't invent these things by themselves for what they wrote. But what they wrote, they're described as holy men, and they spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What's that mean? They were moved by the Holy Ghost. Well, that's a word, Greek word, pharaoh. pharaoh is a Greek word that's used there. And it's used in another place, and it really helps us to understand what it means. It's used actually... In describing Paul's voyage on a boat that ended up being shipwrecked, that was in a terrible storm, and in Acts 27:17, Acts 27, 17, it's describing what happened to the ship. And it says, where they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. They raised the sails in this strong wind and they were pharaoh, they were driven. So the picture of the Bible writers is like they're a sailboat being driven by a strong wind where the boat really doesn't have any choice where to go. The wind is just carrying it along. That's showing us that every word in the Bible has been prescribed. It's been pre-written in heaven. And what they received were prescribed words. Every word, that's how it's described in Proverbs, 30 verse 5, Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Every word of God is pure. And when we trust, when we trust that every word in the Bible is pure and is important, then we have available to us this shield that's referred to in Proverbs 30 verse 5 of having the shield unto them that put their trust in him. When we trust that the Bible is the word of God, when we trust that every word is important and pure and comes from God, then we have available the possibility to use them as shields, to believe that the Bible is that every word book opens the door for us to use the Bible as a shield against attacks, which is what the Lord did in the desert. If every word in the Bible is coming from God, then every word is of great importance to us. And then this gives us guidance because then we should give ourselves to clearly understand the importance of every word in the Bible. Because this Bible is an every word book, I want us to consider two words, two words tonight. And we might have a tendency when we look at these words to overlook them, you know, like a comma or something like that. But you know, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about, he said, every jot and tittle, those tiny marks, In the Hebrew alphabet, little tiny, yod, very small. He says everything's gonna be fulfilled. That shows, it's very important. So two words, Hebrews 1, 3 reads, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The two words tonight to consider are the two words by himself, by himself. Maybe when you're taking this verse and you like to underline your Bible, you're underlining words like brightness and upholding and power and glory and purge. I'll bet you're not underlining by himself. But it's important, very important by himself because these two words by himself in Hebrews 1, 3 here are like the words his own self or his own, that's used elsewhere in the Bible. Also, very important words. And we wanna look at these words and ask ourselves the question, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do by himself? What did he do by himself? Really, this little phrase, by himself, purged our sins, it's the top of the mountain, it's the climax. When you read from Hebrews 1.1, you start off there, you're marching up the mountain. And when you reach the top, it's like, oh, by himself, he purged our sins. This is a climax verse. And so what that means is that arching up the mountain to this climax, to the peak here, by himself purged our sins, we are told truths about the Lord Jesus Christ that help us to understand who was this that purged our sins. The Bible is saying to us here that, yes, he by himself Purged your sins, but you know what? It's really, really important that you understand who was the one who by himself purged your sins. So the first thing we're told in the Bible is that the Lord Jesus Christ is, when it speaks about God who had sundry times and diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. All of that statement, all of that there is telling us that the Lord Jesus Christ is now God's final. An ultimate statement to man. He is God's final and ultimate statement to man. And everything that I just quoted there from Hebrews 1 and 2, about how God was speaking in these various times and various ways to the fathers by the prophets, now he has spoken unto us by his son. And so this means, what does this mean? This means that before the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth, God spoke to man in many, many times, many different ways, many different ways, many different times by the prophets. But after the Lord Jesus Christ has come to earth, from this point, God speaks only through the Lord Jesus Christ. When God wants to speak to man, God speaks through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is not just one option, for man to hear from God, to come to God the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ is man's only option for coming to God the Father. This is what he was saying in John 14, 6, when he said, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, this verse in John 14, 6 about the Lord Jesus Christ actually is explaining to us what it means that God now has his final and ultimate statement through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is now explained to us what it means that God now speaks only to us by his son. Because now that he's come, the Lord Jesus Christ is man's only way to God. There's no other ways. This is a holy Bible. There is no holy Quran Because he is man's only way to God. The Lord Jesus Christ now that he's come, the Lord Jesus Christ is man's only truth, only truth. Now that the Lord Jesus Christ has come, he's man's only real life, only real life. This is the correct view. This is the correct view of who it was who by himself perched our sins. This is the correct view. Verse 3 then now further refines for us our view of who it was who by himself perched our sins. When it says there, he was the brightness of his glory. That's a special word. That's a special word. That's a special Greek word. Why? Because it's used nowhere else in the Bible. This word, brightness, is used nowhere else in the Bible. And that's kind of sweet and significant because it's showing us that the Lord Jesus is so special that a special word is used here once to describe his special glory. A special word for his special glory. It's telling us that the Lord Jesus Christ, is. the word is, describing like the sun, like the bright, dazzling light of the sun. It's the same word that, it's the same root basis for the word that's used to describe the bright light that Paul saw when he was on his way to Damascus in Acts 22.11. Acts 22.11, Paul describes this light. He says, when I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came to Damascus. See, this word brightness is telling us something about us personally. What is telling us what happened to him? Our souls, Paul's souls, Paul's soul, our souls, were in a state of absolute darkness. Absolute darkness until the Lord Jesus brought light to our souls. Light came to our souls through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means when it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, going back to the image of the creation of light. Genesis 1 3, God said, Let there be light, there was light. There's really playing off of this now in 2 Corinthians 4 6, when it says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge. Light is knowledge. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is the one who by himself purged our sins, he's the light that dispels the darkness of our souls. And you can tell who a Christian really is. I'll tell you how you can tell who a Christian really is. You can tell who is really a Christian by the way they speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. You can tell. Because for the Christian, the Lord Jesus Christ is elevated, and he speaks about him with an honor to his elevation. For a Christian, he lights up when he speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's speaking about the one who is the only light of his soul, and the one who is the brightness of God's glory. The Christian sees it's the light of his soul that by himself purged our sins. And when it says in Hebrews 1.3 that the Lord Jesus is the express image of his person, it means simply Jesus is God. That's what it means. Jesus is God. The Christian worships the Lord Jesus Christ, as God, and the Christian really sees him as God, and so he sees some of the things we just sang here were absolutely monumental, because the Christian sees it was God who by himself purged our sins. When it says in Hebrews 1.3, the Lord Jesus was upholding all things by the word of his power, it means the Christian worships and adores the Lord Jesus as not only the creator, which he is, but the sustainer, of everything. Look at these pictures around this room. These are marvelous pictures taken by my cousin. Marvelous pictures of his creation. And not only his creation, but of what he upholds. This bird every day is being fed by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very strange bird. (laughs) But he's just, it's been created by him. It's upheld by him. And so the Christian looks at creation, for example, animals, and realizes they're all dependent on him, on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Christian then says, so am I. I find my all in all, everything I need in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian really sees that the Lord Jesus Christ, his creator, the creator of everything, the upholder of everything, he really sees that. And he sees that the one, he says, that's the one who by himself purged our sins, the Lord, the creator, the upholder. Now, these are personal descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ that are leading up to this climax of by himself purged our sins. And then coming down off the climax on the other side of the hill going down, verse three, it says, then he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. What does that mean? That means that the work that he did to purge our sins, was successful. It was successful, and it was accepted by God the Father, so he sat down in the seat of the victor, the right hand of the majesty, in the seat of the victor. See, the Christian really believes this. The Christian really believes that the Lord Jesus Christ was successful when he by himself purged our sins, and he worships the Lord Jesus Christ for his success in by himself purging our sins. But when Hebrews 1.3 says he had by himself purged our sins, we ask the question, what's included in that? What's that mean, he purged our sins? What's included in that? Well, there are three descriptions in the Bible, and the Bible uses these three descriptions here to describe for us what is meant by purged our sins. What is it meant by purged our sins? Okay, first one, first description, very familiar verse, John one twenty nine. John one twenty nine. John one twenty nine is an account When John the Baptist first sees the Lord Jesus Christ, and it says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's the first description. Taketh away. Taketh away is the first description of what he did when he by himself purged our sins. When he purged our sins, he took away our sins. Now, that's an interesting word, took away, because it's a, the Greek word that's translated, took away, it really means to lift or to carry away. So the picture here is of the Lord Jesus Christ putting our sins on his back when he had by himself purged our sins, seeing the picture of him carrying our sins away. When it says by himself, it means he purged our sins alone, alone. You could say it this way, by his lonesome, he purged our sins, by all alone himself. He was alone when he carried our sins, which is the picture that's presented to us in Isaiah 53.4. Isaiah 53.4 uses two words, born and carried, when it says, Isaiah 53.4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. So this by himself truth that he bore or carried our sins by his lonesome is seen for us when 1 Peter 2.24, 1 Peter 2.24, 2 he's expressing this. And he says, 1 Peter 2.24, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. See, this is a repetition here and repetition for emphasis in this 1 Peter two twenty four verse by when it says his own, his own, his own. See, it's emphasizing there. Don, how personal, how personal this is, his own. He was personally involved in bearing our sins. And this is the focus that we're being brought into in Hebrews 1, 3, Hebrews 1.3, 1 Peter 2.24, these going along with by himself, his own, has an emphasis on the personalness of it all. Which, I mean, after all, when each one of us sinned, when each one of us sinned, and you all look like really nice people, but God says you all sinned. So, okay, all I can do is believe God. But we all have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I know me, you know you. Each one of us has sinned, and it was so personal it was so personal. We felt personally ashamed for what we did. We felt personally guilty for what we did. We felt personally dirty for what we did. And oftentimes those sins are so personal, we don't want anybody else to know about it. The Bible says covering the sins, you won't prosper. And so we make them secret sins, personal, private, just for, for us. When it says, In Hebrews 1.3, that he by himself purged our sins. And then in 1 Peter 1.24, his own, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. It was so personal to him. Oh, the personalness of all this. Our sins were so personal to us. The purging of our sins was so personal to him. And the purging of our sins by himself is not all that's described as so personal to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because these phrase, by himself, but now we're really honed in on his own, his own. Those two words. Remember, every word important. His own. That's used in Revelation 1.5. Revelation 1.5 speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ as who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Again, build up, build up, build up. Now, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood in his own blood. You know, not only did he purge our sins by himself, but then he washed us from our sins in his own blood. You know, that verse could have been written differently. It could have been written something like, he washed us from our sins. Okay, all right. Oh, but it's not written like that. Because this verse, when it's written, he washed us from our sins in his own blood. Those two, those two words, his own, are important because they're emphasizing how personal our cleansing was for him our cleansing from our sins was personal to him that he washed us from our sins in his own blood very personal it's very personal when one person washes another person it's very personal i know my wife used to never want me to wash her feet because she said her feet were stinky so she never wanted me to wash her feet it's personal it's personal it's private okay you know Anyway, but the Lord Jesus Christ, it's exactly what he did. Exactly what he did. Sticky feet and all. In John 13, 4. John 13, 4. He riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and after that he poured a basin, poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. It was very personal to the Lord Jesus to wash the disciples' feet. He washed them with his own hands, and it was very personal to the Lord Jesus to wash us from our sins. He washed us in his own blood, and we're told why. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? We're told in Titus 2. Titus 2.13. Titus 2.13 says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. See, when this verse says that the Lord Jesus Christ purified unto himself a peculiar people, it's telling us he cleansed us so that he could present us to himself as a clean bride. He wants to present to himself a clean bride, a cleansed bride. So he purifies us with his own blood. See, these words, with his own, they're also used... They're also used his own is also used in Acts twenty twenty eight. Acts twenty twenty-eight, where we read, take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood.